Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show for you today, including guest William Yateman. He's a senior legal fellow with the Pacific Legal Foundation. We'll also visit with Ryan Young, senior economist with the Competitive Enterprise Institute. Sal Nuzo is the senior vice president for the James Madison Institute. And Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture and author of several books, uh, as well as he writes a column for Newsmax magazine. He'll be with us as well. It is August the 25th, and on this day in 325, the Council of Nicaea, the first ecumenical debate held by the early Christian church, concluded with the establishment of the doctrine of the Holy Trinity, convened by Roman Emperor uh, Constantine I in May. The council also deemed the Arian belief of Christ as inferior to God as heretical, thus resolving an early church crisis. The controversy began with Arius, an Alexandrian priest, questioning the full divinity of Christ because, unlike God, Christ was born and had a beginning. What began as an academic theological debate spread to Christian congregations throughout the empire, threatening a schism in the early Christian church. Roman Emperor Constantine I, who converted to Christianity in 312, called bishops from all over his empire to resolve the crisis and urged the adoption of a new creed that would resolve the ambiguities between Christ and God. Meeting in Nicaea in present-day Turkey, the council established the equality of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit in the Holy Trinity and asserted that only the Son became incarnate as Jesus Christ. The Arian leaders were subsequently banished from their churches for heresy. The Emperor Constantine presided over the opening of the council and contributed to the discussion. A big day in Christianity in 325, the end of the Nicaean Council. Uh, affirming the Trinity, the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Former President Donald Trump traveled to Atlanta yesterday evening and uh, turning himself in on state felon charges, alleging he conspired to overturn the 2020 election. One of the 19... It just makes me smile to talk about this stupid story. It's unbelievable how this uh, has all transpired. But one of the 19 indicted, Trump was in, released on predetermined bail terms of $200,000. It's Trump's fourth indictment this year. He's maintained his innocence in all of these cases. Trump was required to take a mugshot, a step that was not required during previous intakes of this year, which is going to really turn out to be to his benefit. Uh, the mugshot will no doubt become a collector's item and a signature photo for his campaign. Trump's mugshot immediately took the throne in the uh, Hall of Famous arrest photos, spreading across the Internet within seconds of being released. Uh, Trump himself shared it on ex-Twitter in his first post on the platform since being banned for almost two years. Uh, Fulton County Prosecutor Fannie Willis proposed a quick turnaround for the start of the trial, seeking a start date of October the 23rd. The presiding judge has yet to respond as of this writing. So the uh, processing uh, comes a day after the first GOP uh, primary debate in which Trump declined to participate. He's currently leading the field of contenders by double digits in primary polls from Iowa and the first primary state on the schedule. Separately, House Republicans say they would launch a probe into Georgia's officials' uh, investigation of Trump, alleging a political motivation behind the charges. You think? Absolutely. Most Republican voters, apparently to some po- according to some poll, would not be deterred from voting for President Donald Trump in 2024 if he is convicted or even imprisoned, according to a new poll released as candidates gather for the first GOP ca- uh, presidential candidate in Milwaukee. The charges have only galvanized Trump's base as supportive uh, Republican allies and rivals allowed alike denounce what they see as a weaponization of the justice system against him. And by the way, uh, only 12.8 million watched Fox News Republican debate Wednesday night in Milwaukee, about 13 million viewers less than the former President Donald Trump's debate in 2015. 
Fox News claims the debate drew more viewers than mo- more than 70% of all presidential uh, primary debates in 2016 and 20 cycles. The network also said it was the highest rated non-sports cable tele- telecast in 2023. Uh, Wednesday's debate ratings presumably suffered because Trump decided not to attend the event. Uh, Trump cited a huge polling lead in his decision to forego the debate. Just five minutes before the debate began, Tucker Carlson released a counter-programming interview with Trump, now up to nearly a quarter of a billion views. That's right, 250 million views, if you can believe that, and I certainly do. So in other words, uh, the exposure for Trump was much greater uh, than if he had attempted the debate. And by the way, the debate was... uh, it seems to me way off. They uh, asked about uh, abortion. They, I'm talking about the moderators, and they they asked about uh, uh, issues that really did, didn't pertain necessarily to what's on people's minds, the voters. So it seemed out of touch, quite frankly. And uh, uh, Fox News, I think, is really suffering uh, and going through some bad uh, programming right now. Well, the BRICS alliance announced yesterday six countries will be joining its block of developing economies. The alliance, comprising of Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa, invited Saudi Arabia, Iran, Ethiopia, Egypt, Argentina, and the United Arab Emirates to join starting January the 1st. The block currently represents 40% of the world's population and over 25% of the global GDP seeks to counterbalance Western dominance in international affairs and expand its global influence. With the additional countries, BRICS claims 46% of the world's population and more than 30% of the global economy. The group will now include several major oil producers, including Saudi Arabia, which is the world's largest crude oil exporter. More than 80% of international trade takes place in U.S. dollars, and the expansion could push forward the bloc's goal to trade in alternative currencies besides the dollar. The group plans to allow further expansion, with more than 40 countries expressing interest in joining the alliance. The announcement comes in the end of uh, the group's 15th annual summit in South Africa. It's just amazing to see the uh, decline of the importance of the United States it should be the world's currency and continue in terms of trade. But uh, right now, people are becoming very wary of what's happening with the uh, United States economy and its place in the world. And we're seeing these types of alliances occur as a consequence of our decline here in the United States. <clears throat> and I think primarily because of the leadership or lack thereof of Joe Biden. <clears throat> The White House said on Wednesday it's prepared to ease sanctions against Venezuela if the country makes an effort to restore democracy and hold free elections next year. Do you experience a sense of irony about that statement? Should Venezuela take concrete actions towards restoring democracy, leading to free and fair elections, we will be prepared to provide corresponding sanction relief. That according to a a spokesperson for the White House National Security Council, the Biden administration has been working for years to get the regime of President Nicolas Maduro and his opposition to hold uh, talks regarding free elections in South American country. Does he mean like in the United States, free elections like that? (laughs) It's just to me, the irony is just unbelievable, the hypocrisy. The U.S. economy slouched towards stagnation in August, expanding in its weakest pace in six months, a key survey of business leaders indicated Wednesday. Uh, The S&P Global Flash Composite Output Index, a preliminary reading of survey results that combines both services and manufacturing and the sectors, uh, dropped 1.6 points to 50.4 in August. Manufacturing fell back in contraction, and growth in service sector slumped to its weakest since February. The survey indicates subdued customer demand across the economy. Total orders declined for the first time in six months, with orders falling for both U.S. manufacturers and service providers. Uh, the report suggests the consumer spending, one of the key sources of strength in the economy this year, may be softening. So we're going to speak to uh, uh, Sean Young uh, a little bit later in the show to get his viewpoint on this, because right now they're predicting a soft landing, or some are saying we could have a soft landing in the economy. A lot of indications that may not be happening. 
Shares of Walt Disney on Thursday fell 3.9%, closing at their lowest level in nearly nine years. Some investors predict a further price drop in the next few months. New Disney leader Bob Iger has promised to turn around uh, the, uh, the uh, company and include a mix of price hikes across its streaming properties, more ads and cost cuts to uh, lift the business. Critics of the iconic American entertainment company pinned Disney's slide on what they consider its adopting and supporting an ultra-liver so-called woke agenda. And I would agree with that. Some people are suggesting that it's actually uh, DeSantis and his relationship with Disney is driving down the price. But that's certainly, this This is simply uh, death by a thousand cuts of the Disney company because of the way they're conducting their business and their woke agenda, in my opinion. Well, uh, new car prices are up 25% under Biden. As recently as 2018, there were a dozen new car models that sold for less than $20,000. In 2023, there was only one, the bare-bones Mitsubishi Mirage, which is scheduled to go out of production in two years. The average new car now costs a whopping forty-eight grand. The average used car costs over $27,000, or almost as much as the average new one did just a few years ago. In terms of uh, the President Biden, who will understand this, who cherishes his 67 Corvette, uh, he can understand last year, Biden got behind the wheel of a Corvette Z06 at the Detroit Auto Show. The price tag for the car was $106,000. That's nearly $25,000 more than the previous generation Corvette. Making matters worse, the average new car loan now has a monthly payment of over $750 with an interest rate of 9.5%. For used cars, the average interest rate is 13.7%. <clears throat> That's high. Um, the, uh, um, this administration on the left seems to hate cars, so maybe this is a nefarious plot to make them so expensive, everyone will take mass transit. Just a little tongue-in-cheek there. I don't think that's going to happen. Well, the lower middle class in America today is in worse health and fewer has fewer savings than when they... They enter retirement compared to 20 years ago. The forgotten class that has a lower life expectancy suffers from more chronic illnesses and has less overall health when compared to the previous generation of Americans who had a similar income in the 90s, according to a new study. Americans who fall into the lower class category are often overlooked because they earn too much money to qualify for state or federal assistance, such as Medicaid, food stamps, or housing vouchers, but they earn too little to cover the increasing cost of health care and housing. wonder if vaccines (coughs) (coughs) have anything to do with that. (coughs) This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you visit the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, I'm going to visit with William Yateman. He is a senior legal fellow with the Pacific Legal Foundation. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show. Here on the Bob Hartman Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Thank you. 
Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252-4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. Just want to remind you that Lulubee's Diner and the Green Tree Shopping Center is not only serving great breakfasts and lunches, but now Wednesday through Saturday, 4 to 8 p.m., uh, they're serving dinner, and the menu is terrific. Uh, Chef Richie's uh, used to work at uh, the Turtle Club, and now he's uh, serving up great dinners at the Lulubee's Diner. Wednesday through Saturday, 4 to 8 p.m., just terrific value and great food. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Ryan Young. He's a senior economist with the Competitive Enterprise Institute. Right now, we have with us William Yateman. He is a senior legal fellow with the Pacific Legal Foundation. William, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. Always a pleasure, William. Uh, tell us about the Pacific Legal Foundation. You bet. We're a nonprofit law firm, and we defend Americans for free from government overreach and abuse. Uh, PacificLegal.org is the website, PacificLegal.org. I hope you'll check it out. Doing great work. So, uh, William, it uh, looked like we are going to get some sort of a continuing resolution to uh, for hold the, the budget uh, until uh, December, but now the, uh, the Freedom Caucus is putting their foot down. What are your thoughts? Well, let's hope so. So, as, as you intimated at the outset, um, Speaker McCarthy, and as we spoke about last Friday, um, suggested earlier, about two weeks ago, that leadership intends to punt on uh, spending decisions. Um, and I guess the big outstanding question is, for how long? Uh-huh. Um, that is to say, do they intend to do this into perpetuity, which is certainly what Democrats um, would want. Uh, it would basically lock in President Biden's uh, 2023 spending priorities. And indeed, this sort of autopilot uh, appropriations mechanism is... is in large part, how we've gone or how Congress has gone about appropriating for the last 40 years. Um, and it's a, a big reason why we've got a, a national deficit, um, uh, 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 sorry, a debt deficit of 30, about $32 trillion. Yeah. Um, so regarding the length, we've got the Freedom Caucus demanding, or at least Chip Roy, um, a prominent member of the Freedom Caucus, He's demanding for as short as possible, uh, 24 hours, uh, continuing a series of 24-hour resolutions um, to put maximum pressure on Congress to, quote, this is his quote, to do their damn job, um, here, here. Uh, I guess that sort of relates to the second outstanding question with respect to this, the, these spending negotiations is whether McCarthy will commit to the budget pro- or the appropriations process as an initial matter. Um, That is to say, are they going to roll up their sleeves and do the hard work of deliberations that go into the 12 spending bills that that are part and parcel of this um, congressionally mandated appropriations process? So we don't have an answer on that as well. Hmm. Um, And uh, alas, Congress, you know, they they take more days off than they they take days in. Um, They're not getting back until, not getting back uh, uh, to Capitol Hill until September 12th, and then they'll have 12 legislative working days until the 30th, which is when a government shutdown would occur unless some sort of spending measure is passed. So Um, so those are sort of the parameters of of the negotiations as of now and the unanswered questions. And um, even if, this is sort of the, the depressing aspect, even if the Freedom Caucus holds McCarthy's feet to the fire mm-hmm. and, and 
God willing, I hope they do. Um, there's still a, uh, uh, a high likelihood that McCarthy would then just join with Democrats and then pass a stopgap measure with their support. So uh, the potential options don't look great at this point. Um, McCarthy has yet to show his cards. So we're sort of in a wait and see mode. So I, I'm interested in this 24-hour continuing resolution uh, proposal. I hadn't heard about that. Uh, how does it work? <laughs> it would work such that, uh, I guess, just as it uh, sounds. So basically, it would extend, it would be a 24-hour stopgap. So uh-huh. it would uh, basically put the budget on, or the appropriations process on autopilot for 24 hours, at the end of which Congress would have to act. And what Roy is proposing, Chip Roy, representative from Texas, and again, a prominent member of the Freedom Caucus, is a series of these 24-hour measures to, uh-huh. uh, to ensure that Congress, again, does its job. Um, because otherwise, history suggests um, uh, that uh, the way this has worked out historically is that the process is due to be done on September 30th. And then leadership, whether or not it be Democrat or Republican, then kicks the can down to right before Christmas. Right. And then relies on the fact that all lawmakers want to get home for the holidays, yeah. and thereby uh, they continue to punt the measure down the road. So. Uh, well, again, we're, we're, it, it is still uncertain which tack McCarthy, Speaker McCarthy, intends to take. So he's in a tough position because, quite frankly, he could end up without end up without the Speaker's job if he doesn't if uh, he doesn't go along with the Freedom Caucus. On one hand, uh, it's it's uh, and, and it's uh, the the uh, it is the mandate that he can uh, come back with a budget of somehow. So. Um, about a government shutdown, to me, shutting down the government for a month or two, that's not necessarily bad. I, I remember when that's happened the last time, and I tried to figure out what kind of inconvenience I suffered as a result. I can only think of one website I couldn't, <laughs> couldn't <laughs> access in the process. And, uh, you know, to me, uh, maybe that's what we need. Look, I don't disagree, and I am sympathetic to a shutdown as a solution. I'll also note, with respect to Speaker McCarthy being in a tough spot, um, well, that's leadership. Yeah, that's um, right. You know, that's the nature of the beast. So right. uh, I certainly have no sympathy for him on that score. And I'll just note one other thing. Uh, you had mentioned uh, a couple seconds ago uh, about uh, the House's newfound power. It was only with the 118th Congress, and it was a concession that McCarthy made as a condition of becoming Speaker, this motion to vacate which is, again, it hasn't been a part of the House of Representatives in more than a century, um, but in essence it allows any single member to put a motion before the floor of the House, um, and if it gets a majority, it would kick McCarthy out of the speakership. So right. that is a new thing. That is a sort of Damocles that is hanging above his head with respect to these budget negotiations, and frankly, I'm all for it. Um, leadership should carry consequences. Well said, William. Now, before I let you go, any comments at all about uh, our president carrying uh, aliases and uh, fake emails? And uh, this, it just uh, gets more complicated and more absurd. More complicated and more absurd by the day. Um, yes, I'm sure your listeners have read about this. Three aliases evidently employed by the, uh, the uh, then Vice President Biden in various communications um, with his son regarding official matters. Um, the aliases were Robert Peters, Robin Ware, and J.R.B. Ware. Um, but this uh, came into the news. Uh, Representative James Comer, who heads the House Oversight and uh, uh, Government of uh, Government, uh, the House Oversight Committee, uh-huh. um, has asked the National Archives for all records with this email address. So um, the archives' ability to stall and obfuscate on this is limited, um, and I'm hopeful that Comer will get to the bottom of this. Uh, me too, and just another agency that's somehow been compromised and uh, weaponized against uh, the, the uh, conservative parties. So, uh, and uh, David Weiss, he has connections with the Biden family going way back. This is remarkable. The Washington Examiner had reporting this week that of the 29 assistant prosecutors that have been in Weiss's office since 2019, since this Hunter Biden probe uh, began, Seven were donors to Democrats, zero were donors to Republicans, and then two were family friends of the Bidens and actually personal friends with Hunter Biden. Yeah. And then, again, this is according to Washington Examiner reporting this week. 
Um, so that's just remarkable. I mean, you know, really, the two gentlemen out of, uh, you know, the single office investigating Hunter Biden, um, you know, were friends with him. That's just sort of blows my mind. Um, and, and I think it speaks for itself. Absolutely. Again, William Yateman, he is a senior legal fellow with the Pacific Legal Foundation. Check out PacificLegal.org, PacificLegal.org. William, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. My pleasure indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Ryan Young. He's a senior economist with the Competitive Enterprise Institute. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratospell Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Golf Shore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Golf Shore Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgrowing its current facilities with dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region. Gulf Shore Playhouse is building a 44,000-square-foot state-of-the-art theater and education center on three acres at the corner of 1st Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, the state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about this season's exciting productions, Visit GulfShorePlayhouse.org. That's GulfShorePlayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I proudly serve on their board. I hope you check out the website, the FGA. They help prepare elected officials when they get to the legislature to have a winning strategy for the legislation. And you can, again, find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. Well, the left uh, loves to use children as pawns, as political pawns. So here's the latest craziness. Last week, we reported on how a rogue judge uh, ruled that Montana violated its constitution when it approved fossil fuel projects without taking climate change into account. I'm not kidding. (laughs) He really did, or she really did that. Uh, Who are the plaintiffs? Well, it's children as young as five years old. State Judge Kathy Seeley ruled that 16 youngsters that had the right to clean and healthful environment violated in Judge Seeley's bizarre 103-page opinion, among the alleged harm she cited for the youngsters, and these are quotes, Olivia expressed despair due to climate change. And another, Badge is, uh, and Badge is his name, Badge is anxious when he thinks about the future that he and his potential children will inherit. Grace is anxious about climate change. Micah gets frustrated when he is required to stay indoors during the summer because of wildlife uh, wildfire smoke. Oh, the horror. And by the way, just uh, who is it that's causing these kids all the anxiety? It's the climate crazies. Uh, maybe they, they are the ones that are, should be, have been found guilty of child abuse. Montana Attorney General Austin Knudsen, Knudsen called the ruling absurd for allowing an ideological judge to earn herself a spot in their next documentary. It's just incredible. I just admire uh, Ramaswamy at the debate, these when when the uh, 
moderators brought up the whole notion of climate change. And by the way, why would they do that? Why would they talk about climate change when that's one of the few that's in the back of the list of things that people are concerned about right now with this economy, with inflation, the way it's going. So they bring up climate change. And, and uh, Ramaswamy said, that climate, this is all a farce. It's a ruse. Uh, there is climate change. Anything based on uh, carbon dioxide as a problem is a, a ruse. He was great, and he called it right out. Of course, others followed as a consequence, but he really made, a, I think, a, a great uh, name for himself uh, during the debate, uh, especially with, with that comment, among others. Well, blindside to author Michael Lewis, whose book based on the life of the former NFL player Michael Orr, was adapted for the film and was nominated for the Best Picture at the Oscars. He broke his silence on the drama between the subject and the, and the Tui family. He said that Orr, Orr knew he was in a conservative ship and not officially adopted. Others acknowledged the conservative ship in his own book, and he refused the movie pay, uh, payment check, which he now claims was kept from him. So a lot of inconsistencies in Orr's position, but uh, maybe evidence that he's, you know, he made a lot of money as a professional football player. And uh, has he run through all that money? Is that what the problem is here? Because obviously this is... Uh, an attempt to bilk money out of his foster parents who hey, raised him. My goodness, what a way to thank them for their his, their contribution. Remember, he was homeless. They took him in and uh, really kind of uh, protected him and helped him to get into football and did so many things to uh, su support him and uh, end his life. It's just incredible. A couple more comments on, on the debate, by the way, uh, <clears throat> in the indictment. Uh, President Trump, if you haven't seen the picture of President Trump and his uh, photo, his mugshot, it is classic. And uh, it will become, I think, maybe the, the key picture that he uses during his campaign. He, is, he looks defiant. He looks determined. He looks uh, like, uh, you know, he's, he's basically saying with his face, uh, you know, you have no idea who you're messing with. So uh, just really appreciate him. And uh, again, his interview with Tucker Carlson, now over a quarter of a billion. Now, I realize this is worldwide, not just here in the United States, but a quarter of a billion views. It is an outstanding interview, as all of Tucker Carlson's interviews are, but it was really outstanding. 44 minutes long. If you haven't seen the, uh, seen the interview, I encourage you to, uh, to see it. But again, in juxtaposition to the debate and the content of the debate, uh, Tucker Carlson did just an outstanding job. The debate itself was, it basically uh, didn't focus on the things that are, are on the minds of uh, American citizens. They claimed that they had uh, 12 million people seeing the debate uh, on Fox News. I doubt that it's that, that high a number, but irrespective, even if it is, 12 million views is a, certainly a lot less than <laughs> a quarter of a billion views of uh, people around the country. Well, presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy and Twitter owner Elon Musk ripped the current education system in the United States, saying the taxpayers were paying people to hate America. Ramaswamy and Musk took part in a Twitter Spaces forum, where Ramaswamy blasted the Department of Education for using funding as its incentive for schools to use certain theories and curricula. Ramaswamy outlined plans to shut down that department during a July 20th forum in New Hampshire. You talk about these local schools and what the heck are they doing? That comes from the U.S. Department of Education, Ramaswamy told Musk. So it's a little bit invisible to a lot of people. It's not just the school boards and the parents are ha happily now engaged in the U.S. government saying you don't have to get money from this federal government, which covers about 10% of public school uh, budgets in this country, unless you adopt these toxic, self-hating, you know, radical and gender ideologies. Okay, so basically we're paying people to hate America, Musk responded. Earlier in the forum, uh, Ramaswamy and Musk discussed how the United States was dealing with the entitlement mentality and how victimhood made la laziness acceptable. The content of the school curriculum became a hot-button political issue in 2021 as parents protested the use of critical race theory, which holds that America is fundamentally racist and teaches, uh, teaches people to view every social interaction in person in terms of race, Parents across the country also raised objections to books with sexually explicit content in recent years, prompting some states to act to remove them from the schools. The Department of Justice came out 
under fire when uh, Attorney General Merrick Garland issued an October 4th memo that formed a task force to investigate parents protesting mask mandates and the use of CRT in school curricula. Musk closed the deal to purchase Twitter for $44 billion in October of 2022, seeking to create a common digital town square. Appreciate his efforts. I think he's doing a great job. All right, coming up, uh, we're going to be visiting uh, with Larry Bell. And uh, he, of course, is the endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. We're also going to visit with Sal Nuzo. He is a senior vice president for the James Madison Institute. Uh, we'll be talking about some of the issues that exist here in the state of Florida. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Two-thirds of parents prefer educational options for their children, with 40% strongly preferring options for their child's education. School choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America. The Optima Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit corporation, was founded to support the establishment and expansion of superior quality schools of choice. Optima's goal was the successful launch of Hillsdale College Varney Charter School, Initiative Classical Academies, and other schools of excellence across the state of Florida, serving kindergarten through the 12th grade. The mission is to train the minds and improve the hearts of young people through a content-rich classical education and a liberal arts and sciences with instruction in the principles of moral character and civic virtue. In a terrific product of the process, Naples Classical Academy has already opened here in Naples. You can find out more by visiting the website Optima.Foundation. Help children in Florida optimize their educational opportunities. Visit www.Optima.Foundation. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now I'll play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me, and he'll help you too. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up, we're going to be visiting uh, with uh, Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston Space Architecture. Right now we have with us Sal Nuzo. He's a senior vice president for the James Madison Institute. Sal, thank you so much for joining us. Anytime. Uh, glad to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Sal. Tell us about the James Madison Institute. Sure. JMI is a 35-year-old uh, free market think tank. We're based in Tallahassee, but work all over the state and actually uh, all over the country now, helping both Florida policymakers and uh, state lawmakers from other states to replicate the models of success that Florida has seen in uh, advancing the principles of limited government policy, economic liberty, and free market capitalism. You know, uh, JMI is my uh, go-to website uh, for, for information when I'm trying to find uh, get the true scoop on what's actually happening in Florida policy, especially when it comes to amendments and things like that for our, our Constitution. So I wanted to speak to you, uh, Sal, about what's happening with the insurance markets here in the state of Florida. We've seen a couple of insurers uh, drop out. It's kind of sending a signal that perhaps our, this fix that we put in place for uh, for our insurance uh, markets here in Florida is just not uh, getting traction. What are your thoughts? Yeah, it's definitely a cause for concern because Florida homeowners insurance rates 
have and, and property insurance rates across the state have been going up quite a bit over the last several years. The underlying causes of it were, uh, you know, the fact that Florida is a peninsula jutting out into Hurricane Alley with 1,300 miles of coast. And we also have an incredibly challenging litigation environment, tons of fraudulent and frivolous lawsuits related to homeowners insurance that have caused this. The legislature finally did some, uh, did what they needed to be uh, doing. Uh, They started in 2022 with some reforms in a special legislative session, and then they uh, followed that up in the 2023 regular session with a massive reform bill uh, aimed at correcting our tort environment. The challenge with this is is that it's going to take a year or so for those changes mm. to kind of make their way into the system of how property insurers develop the, the premium prices for individual homes. And so I, I wish I had a better answer, but unfortunately... It's just going to take a cycle or so for those changes to kind of make their way into homeowners insurance premiums. Bottom line, Sal, do you think that the legislature and the governor uh, did a good job in terms of making reforms that will work? They absolutely made the right reforms. I would say if I had one constructive criticism is if they had done these reforms about three years prior, uh. we would now be seeing a uh, kind of a situation where I believe premiums would be on the decline or, or kind of uh, in a better place. But, you know, unfortunately, they, you know, the, the legislature, for a variety of reasons, they did it uh, last year and this year. And so it's just going to take a little bit of time. Yeah, absolutely. I, I did hear that reinsurers were starting to come back into the state. So that's a good sign. Just because uh, the primary insurers is, is, uh, uh, were seeing reductions, if uh, reinsurers come back and it takes some of the risk away from the primary insurers. Absolutely. And so the reinsurance market, which is insurance for insurance carriers, they um, they had some reforms in, I believe it was the May special legislative session or June. That insurance market kind of got right-sized. And so you actually saw some uh, carriers coming back into the market on the reinsurance side. Mm-hmm. So again, things that are being done are kind of trickling their way down in, it's just going to take a cycle or so before uh, homeowners, at you know, when they get their trim statements, uh, uh, see a little bit more uh, relief. Excellent, Sal. Well, thanks for that clarification. I, what I'm taking away from the conversation is that we've had some tort reform. That's going to remove a layer of, of cost uh, for, our, for, our, uh, for our insurance. We still have the hurricanes to deal with and the bad weather that's down yep. here in Florida. So it's gonna, I, I would imagine premiums are going to stay high. They're going to stay high for a little bit at least. Uh, bear in mind that the legislature could not make those changes retroactively. They couldn't change the system before. Yeah. And so when the legislature passed that bill, there was a flood of last-minute lawsuits filed because they knew that they needed to get their lawsuits in right before the law took place. So we're just going to have to get through this challenging phase of the system adjustment, and uh, hopefully better days are ahead. Well, thank you, Sal. By, by the way, I uh, talked to my CPA about my uh, taxes and uh, said we I had some uninsured losses in Ian, and he said, well, that's a problem, but uh, you, we can't do anything about it until the government does something to, to claim it was a, a justified emergency. What's going on there? Oh, gosh. If, if there is, between the federal government and the state, I am as confused as most in terms of what qualifies for aid versus relief and then how it translates onto an individual's taxes. So, I, I probably know even less than uh, than you on that uh, that matter. <laughs> okay, so then let's move to affordable housing. And, uh, yeah, it's clearly an issue here in Florida. We've uh, seen housing costs go up, and, uh, we, you know, the economy's robust. It's so many good things happening in Florida. Any comments about the issue of well, very complex and difficult issue of affordable housing? Yeah, and and really what we are concentrating on is what we would call workforce housing. And this is Mm -hmm. housing in the area of an individual who is middle income, maybe dual income, being able to, like you said, afford a 
traditional home. And, and as Florida has seen its success, in the realm of housing prices, we've been a victim of our success. So where I would have said that the housing bust of 2008 and 2000, uh, 2009 was a, a bubble, this is a matter of supply and demand. Yeah. Florida is seeing a thousand people move to the state a day. Wow. And housing is like anything else. It is subject to the laws of supply and demand. So yep. you've got folks from New England, the Midwest, California, selling their homes at high cost there and bringing inflated money into the state and driving up the price of housing. So the demand is there. What we need is we need supply. We have to focus on what are the regulations in place that govern how quickly and how affordably housing gets built. How can developers be incentivized to build workforce housing more quickly? Mm -hmm. And so what you saw in the past legislative session was a massive package from uh, championed by uh, Senate President Kathleen Pasadomo. Uh, There's a lot of great things in there. There are some things that we're questioning how effective they're going to be, but we're looking forward to seeing how they play out. And so, again, those are things that housing just takes time to build. The capital markets are going to need to flow in. And so it's our hope that when lawmakers are doing what they do year in, year out, those uh, those changes trickle down into the market and ultimately kind of provide a little bit more downward pressure on the prices of homes. Yeah, I would imagine that uh, regulations, I don't know if they are state-driven or driven by local communities or the counties, but, uh, for example, to uh, free up density, things like that that have a real impact on uh, the price of housing. You know, If they could have more lots per acre or whatever it might be, could uh, really create an opportunity for less expensive housing. You're absolutely right, and 95% of that is at the local level. It's not just things like the zoning pieces, but it's also things like permitting delays in the processes from one county to another, uh, impact fee uh, laws and regulations put on by municipal governments. All of those things, and some of them are needed and well-intentioned, but all of them have an upward pressure on the the price of what it costs to build a home. And so those things are almost exclusively controlled at the local levels, and uh, what the state can do is try to, as much as possible, set kind of benchmarks or, in some cases, even preempt local governments if uh, a series of them are kind of exceeding what is their traditional authority. That's so interesting. It brings up the whole issue of uh, home rule. That's another conversation we'll have at another time. (laughs) Yep, sure does. And and it's a good debate among conservatives. It's one I enjoy always having. But yeah, it's a it's one we could probably spend two or three segments on uh, just diving in on that. Absolutely. Sal Newsom, again, Senior Vice President for Terrific Organization. It's the James Madison Institute. Encourage you to visit the very robust website, jamesmadison.org, jamesmadison.org. Sal, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Anytime, Bob. Always a pleasure. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston Space Architecture, that and more, right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. you have questions about your retirement, Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Blueprint. 
Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate courtyard garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean dining room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, changing lives through exceptional theater experiences and also building a 44,000-square-foot performing arts center in downtown Naples. It's going to be absolutely beautiful. You can find out more and get tickets by visiting the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. We have with us Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture, author of many books, his latest, Architectures Beyond Boxes and Boundaries, My Life by Design, again by Larry Bell. He writes this column for Newsmax.com uh, as well. Professor, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Hey, Bob, it's always a pleasure. Thank you so much. Uh, my pleasure, Professor. I've, I've got uh, your latest column in front of me. But before I ask you about that, I just wondered if you'd uh, give us any thoughts on the, ba- the debate or the uh, indictment. Yeah, they're both uh, interesting topics, and uh, I got a couple optics on the debates. You know, I was speaking of debates, I was debating whether to watch the debate or watch Trump on Tucker, and uh, so we kind of split it. My wife watched Tucker, and I watched the debates. And I think I think kind of one I'm, I've been I've been enjoying the spin after that, and in the media, particularly Wall Street Journal and so on, and 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 also New York Times and, and the spin on the debate, but. Um, I think there's there's kind of one 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 set of numbers that that kind of tells it all. You know the the, the previous debate, you know the, the primary debate with with Republicans in 2016. I think I think there were uh, something like 24 million viewers uh, in, in that particular in the first uh, Republican primary debate. 24 million viewers. Mm-hmm. Uh, on Wednesday, there were about twelve, about half as many viewers of that watched it. However, you got this this uh, uh, new <laughs> new network, you know, the Twitter X and so on. They had two hundred and two hundred thirty million um, uh, people plugged into that network. Yeah, and I see the media trying to explain that. You know, they're trying to explain that away. I mean. Twenty times more people that 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 access the uh, you know the, the Trump pre pre uh, programmed pre you know pre taped uh, message than there were to watch the debate. I think I think there's a message message in there that's very very hard to spin. Absolutely, um, Professor. I, the other thing about the debates and I, what happens, I watch the like you, I, I watch the. Uh, Tucker interview. It's about forty-four minutes, and then tuned into the debates. One thing I couldn't understand is the uh, the uh, moderators of the debate decided they wanted to bring up things like abortion and uh, climate change as <laughs> topics. Which you know, when you think about Republican voters, what what's on their minds? Well, it's the economy, it's the prices, it's all you know, a certainly different agenda than what the moderators had in mind. Well, they wanted you know they definitely wanted Trump to show up. <clears throat> and 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 I've got an article coming out this morning. That says, well, why would he? Right. Uh, when, he when he's had about 40, 40, 50 points in the in the in the polls, why in the why in the world would he do that? When it's you know, I, I compare with you know somebody that's volunteering to be like columnist and a columnist to be in front of you know TV audience. You know, who, who would want to do that? <laughs> um, but you know the. Uh, 
you know, the it it was really uh, Vivek did did you know did did well, and largely because he supported um, Trump very specifically, and so on. Nikki Haley, you know, it was talking over everybody, but she got rave reviews this morning in Wall Street Journal, and so on. You see, you see these ratings of performance, but not. But you mentioned the moderators. No one brought up this atrocity that's happening that happened the following day. It happened yesterday in Georgia right. in, in the mugshot, and nobody brought that up. And uh, that was, I think, and, and this is. The day after Rudy Giuliani was was mugshot there, and and nobody brought that up. And I think you know the other elephant in the room, along with Chris Christie, was was this <laughs> absence of absence of any conversation about these indictments that, right. that are that are just dogging Trump. And I, and I think I think people see it. And then I got a kick out of this morning. The Wall Street Journal finally got. The gift they may not want. They 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 put this picture of Trump, you know, the mugshot, front and center, a big big picture on the on the cover this morning. The headline because you know they hate Trump. God, God, the Wall Street Journal hates Trump, and they're they're plugging Nikki Haley now and so on. And they they kind of switched off to Sanders and and, and Chrissy, and uh, so they got their mugshot. But that's on Nancy. I think I think the the Trump campaign will make more money out of selling mugs yeah. and, shot, and shot glasses with his picture on it than they will anything else. I think <laughs> I think that'll bail them out. And, and, and on top of that, then you see this optic of this elegant uh, aircraft that, 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 that Trump flies in, you know, Trump force, and, and his big entourage. You'd think he was the president of the world. <laughs> Arriving <laughs> at this dumbass little you know, courthouse or, or jail. To get a mug shop and, and, and shot, and you know the public sees that and they think, "Oh my God, do we ever need him?" Do you know? I, and, and the thing is, I mean, they say a picture's worth a thousand words. Well, it's certainly the case here with this mug shot because this, that is going to be a classic Hall of Fame all-time uh, mug shot. I think it'll be used in the campaign continuously uh, to help promote Trump's uh, candidacy. Well, I'm sure that they. I'm sure there was a lot of discussion before that in terms of whether she, he should be smiling or you know whatever. But I, I looked at it. I said, God, that's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> it, shows, it shows rumbling thunder that's going to be coming back, you know, after 2024. And I really believe, you know, you look at the poll numbers and in some of the polls, polls are elusive things. But you know, Trump's Trump's now ahead of Biden in some polls by anywhere of four to six to eight points. And and I think with the this stuff coming out on, you know, Hunter's plea deal and all the corruption stuff that that, that they, you know, they they can't really escape because because the house house committees, house ways and means and oversight and judiciary and all these others, they've got so much stuff on on them and it's and there's plenty of time for this stuff to just be trickling out and trickling on trickling out. And and um, you know this. All they're trying to do is one. Of, one of the things they're really trying to do is bury Trump and all of his associates in debt. Yeah. You know because these these court cases cost millions of dollars. Yeah. And 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 Trump's got like eight teams of lawyers having to respond to all these 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 forest fires that they're they're lighting, and it's very costly. Uh, and it's it's very. It 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 reflects a, a very sinister thing that's happening in our country with the weaponization of Justice Department, the IRS, and 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 uh, FBI, and so on, and and uh, the swamp creatures have all kind of run to shore, and we can see them. And and it's one hand, it's you know, it's. It's high time that that we woke up to that. On the other hand, is is so much worse than any of us thought it was. Yeah, it's so true. That, that, uh, you know, we're we're really in a, we're really in a desperate time right now. 
We are indeed, Professor. I think you summed it up uh, very well, and if we certainly need some judicial reform in, in, as well as cleaning the swamp. Well, maybe the, now the Justice Department has become the swamp as well. Again, Professor Larry Bell, latest book, Architectures Beyond Boxes and Boundaries, My Maggie, Life by Design by Larry Bell. Also, Newsmax.com, check out his column, On Point. Uh, and he comes out a couple of times a week. Professor, I always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. And Bob, I always enjoy the platform. Thank you so much. My pleasure indeed. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. If you enjoy the show, tell your friends. And uh, that's the way we expand our audience and support our advertisers. I really appreciate you listening to the show. I thank you so much for your patronage and uh, hope you enjoy it. Uh, I hope you make it a great day and weekend on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.